kind of in the same breath. I mean, just read on your own time, in one sitting, 2 Corinthians, beginning in, verse, in chapter 3, and then do chapter 4, and then, then do chapter 5. Paul talks about his body dying, his body wasting away. And he, but he has this treasure in this earthen vessel that's wasting away. And the treasure is this. It's the knowledge of the glory of God alive in him in the face of Christ. He's experiencing both death. He says, actually, in chapter 4, I'm experiencing death, but you're experiencing life. Because that glory is shining out of me and is coming out of my mouth as I am perplexed and as I am crushed. And that's what we see in Jesus' death and resurrection. In Romans 8, Paul says the same thing. He's basically like, I'm going to rule and reign with him in future glory that is coming. He says, but I still have to suffer with him now. He says, if I stay faithful, if I stay true. And so, and when Jesus comes to this hour, this hour of death that's going to result in exaltation, when he comes to the greatest trial that he's going to come to as a man, what does he do? He disciples and he prays. He prayed, he prayed before his first battle with Satan. He, come, he came out, baptized in the, with John. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. He goes into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and he goes to war with the enemy. And now, in his second great battle with the enemy, what do we see Jesus do? He's praying. I said the fact, I wrote this down, the fact that Jesus, when his hour had come, wasn't, I, I'm sorry, the fact that Jesus' hour had come and he wasn't passive, but he was called to prayer. It was an excuse for passive acceptance of what the Lord was going to do with him. But he began to pray for it and began to pray for others in his life. And what the Lord spoke to me as I was meditating on this is our discipline and prayer today will be revealed in the moment of our greatest trial. The prayer life that we have today will be revealed in the moment of our greatest trial. And our lack of prayer will also be revealed. The trial reveals both. Does it push you to the Lord or does it pull you from him? I know a friend who was just diagnosed with a very painful disease and her response as I was, as I was asking her about it was that the pain was making her cry out to God and pray more fervently. And I went, oh, this woman had a prayer life before this pain hit her. Now, the great thing is we can use pain and trial to push us into prayer even when we don't have much history in it. But that's the rhythm that I see in the life of Jesus. I remember when I was young and my aunt was going to be the Lord. She was dying and she was dying suddenly. And... My hour had come, my first kind of young hour of trial, and I had no resource in the place of prayer to draw from. 
Now, I think I was like eight or 10, but this is like a vivid memory in my mind. I remember the conviction that we were supposed to stand for healing and contend for healing. And I remember my sister and I getting the phone call. My mom was at the hospital. And my sister and I like went to our knees and like, Lord, heal her. And Okay. <laughs> and I had no faith and I had no conviction. And the Lord like brought that to my mind. And I was just thinking of my own journey of growing in faith and finding a greater strength through each trial to cry out to the Lord. And it is a progression. I feel like the trials can produce for us the genuineness of our faith. It kind of reveals what's there. And sometimes we repent for it when we're lacking. And we say, Lord, I want to follow you in a greater way. And I want to grow in faith. So when trials come, I look to you. I wonder if every time a trial came, and if it was from the enemy, and we looked to God every time, I wonder if he would leave us alone a little bit more. I wonder if he's like, ah, I don't really want to touch them, because every time I do, they draw nearer to the one I'm trying to get them to draw away from. So Jesus' hour has come. He goes to the Lord in prayer. And in verse 4, let's skip down to the verse 4. He says this phrase, I have glorified you on earth, and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. This phrase, finished the work, just jumped off the page to me. It says in John 4, Jesus says, my food is to do the work of my Father. He actually called it his sustenance. He called it his life. He says, my food is to do the work that the Father has called me to. And he says, and to accomplish it. And here in John 17, he's saying, it's finished. It's done. I love that confidence. He's looking to the cross and he's like, it's already done. The battle's already won. I'm talking to my father. I've ran my race. It's finished. And I think it's interesting that Paul uses this same language that Jesus used of his own life at the end of Paul's life. Paul says that he had fought the good fight. He had finished the race. He had kept the faith. And for him was laid up a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, would award him on that day. So he's talking about finishing something, accomplishing something. And my question was, what, was the, what is the secret to this mindset? What was Paul's secret to this mindset? And as I was asking the Lord and just looking through Scripture, I came to Acts chapter 20. Let's put Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 24 up on the board. says in verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now let me set up the context a little bit. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's received prophecies that he is going to be imprisoned in Jerusalem, and this imprisonment is going to lead to him giving his life, okay? Um, and he's stopping in Ephesus for a minute, and he's gathered the elders of the church of Ephesus that he established. He's gathering them. And Paul is kind of doing the same thing that Jesus is doing in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. He's giving his final words to the elders of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a very important uh, church or city. It was an important city, but it was an important church. Uh, it was one of the four revivals of the book of Acts. And so in Ephesus... 
just thinking of some of the details of, of Ephesus. I think at this time, John was living in Ephesus. At this time, Mary was living in Ephesus. At this time, Timothy was pastoring Ephesus. I mean, what if you had to pastor the Apostle John and Mary, the mother of Jesus? Can you imagine that? <laughs> and there was this kind of hub of ministry. It said from Ephesus, it said all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It says that in, in the Bible. All who were living in Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's a great revival, right? And so Paul's talking to these elders who have this enormous task in front of them. And he's giving kind of his final statement to them. And it sounds a lot like Jesus in John 17. Okay, now let's go to verse 22. And now, behold, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Okay, right there. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, imprisonment and affliction are awaiting you. If you go to Denver, if you go to Seattle, how many people are buying plane tickets to Denver and plane tickets to Seattle, right? I guess you wouldn't buy a plane ticket to Denver since we live in Castle Rock. But maybe you drive <laughs> south on I-25, right? I'm going to Pueblo, Trinidad, Colorado Springs. Paul says this, the Holy Spirit is testifying to me that in every, in, in every city, you go to the next city, the prophecy happens again. You go to the next city, the word of the Lord comes again. I just feel if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be imprisoned and you're going to be afflicted. Again, I don't know if my mindset would be continue to Jerusalem. But here's Paul's mindset in verse 24. This is what keeps him on that road to suffering for the glory of Jesus. He says this, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. And here's his cry. If only I may finish my course. Or the New King James here says there that I would finish my race. Again, it's that same finishing language that Jesus is praying to his Father. He says that I would finish my race, finish my course, and the ministry that I have received from the Lord. And then New King James says, with joy. That he's going to finish it in prison and in affliction, and his desire is to finish it with joy in that place. And he says, and to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So what was striking me here is that Paul's mindset before he found himself in Rome writing to Timothy, before he found himself saying, I'm going to finish my race, his mindset before he got there was, I'm going to finish my race. And his life wasn't precious to him. And in other places, we know his life wasn't precious to him because he was trading that for the treasure, for the gain of knowing the power and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, his Lord. It says, and to share in his sufferings. So Paul's mindset was to finish his race before the trial hit. Jesus' attitude in John 4 that we saw was to do the work of his father and to complete it. And now we see him completing his race he's, before he's being crucified. And the Holy Spirit just spoke this to me. This has to be our mindset before we enter into trials and tribulations. We have to have the resolve in our heart that we are going to finish our race before the Lord. And we have to pray unto that day. 
Lord, help me to finish my race. Help me to run this race. Help me to finish the course. Help me to not get off track. Now, we're going to come back to that idea in just a moment. But the question that's in my mind when I think about that is, how do I run the race? <laughs> how do I finish the way Jesus and Paul finished? How do I, what do I do? And I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So two things popped out at me in this, in this passage. One, we run the race remembering those who have gone before us. The best way to remember is to open your Bible and read about the testimony of those who finished well and read about the testimonies who didn't finish well. And in each one of those say, Lord, I want to be like the one who finished well. I want to be like David who finished well. I want to be like Abraham who finished well. I don't, I don't really want to be like Gideon who didn't finish so well. I don't want to be like Solomon who didn't finish so well. I think Mike said this on Sunday. It's not the way we begin the race. It's the way we finish it. Right? Did you say that? I'm remembering that from Sunday. It's not the way we begin. It's the way we finish. Now, we want to begin, <laughs> and it's nice if we begin a little earlier in life so we save ourselves from some of that pain, right? But it is the way we finish that counts. Think of Paul living his 30s really in rebellion against God and then persecuting the church of his Lord. It's not the way he began. It's the way he finished. He was encountered by a man on a road to Damascus, and he said, you're the Messiah. And his race began. And look at the way he finished. So we look to others who finished well, the great cloud of witnesses, and in our race, we also look to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful how it says that? It says, run with endurance the race that is set before you, and look to Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Speak to Jesus. Behold Jesus. Cry out for revelation of Jesus. That's the secret. He has the power through his Holy Spirit. Talk to the Holy Spirit. I want to finish my race well. Talk to the Holy Spirit about getting back into the race if you're not in it right now, right? Sometimes we get off track, but it's not about how we get off track. It's about getting back up and finishing, right? Let's go to one more phrase where I see this. Oh, we got to skip. I've manifested your name. It's a good one, guys, but we're going to go on. Let's go to verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. They are yours, or yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. 
Now this, again, this just astonished me. This phrase, they have kept your word. Again, the, the reason it astonished me or it, it blew me away was because think of how many times the disciples failed. Yet as Jesus is going to the cross and praying for them, he says, they've kept your word. He doesn't mention any of their failure. And they messed up royally, okay? One of my favorites, well, let's put Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35 on the board. Now it says in verse 31 that Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me tonight. And this, they've said this right before Jesus is praying for them, okay? Jesus knows they're going to fall away, and he still prays they have kept my word, okay? It's just mind-boggling. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I, will raise, I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And again, Peter answers him. He says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus says to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die, I will never deny you. And it says, and all the disciples said the same thing. Now we always give Peter, you know, the main burden of that. But Matthew says, they all said, we will all die with you before we deny you. And then they run away when the shepherd is struck. I think of, I don't have the scripture on the board, but I think of in Luke 9, when a Samaritan village, he's on his way to Jerusalem to give his life, okay? And a Samaritan village won't receive him. And John and James, the sons of thunder, said, let us call fire down from heaven. Let us do the Elijah thing and let us kill and wipe out the whole village. Now think about it. Jesus is going to die for them, Okay? Jesus is remembering the Samaritan woman, and he's going to give his life for them. And they go, let us do that. They rejected you. Kill them all. And Jesus turns, and he rebukes them. And the New King James, it says that, he says, you don't know what spirit you're operating in. You don't know what spirit you're of. How many of you have had a little anger arise in your heart, and you thought it was righteous anger, and you were just like, just kill them all, Lord. Or just, yeah, you probably didn't say kill them all. I hope you didn't. Because if you did, we have a wonderful counseling department here in this church. And I can set you an appointment. I've just played. Um, and the other one that I just, I, I just, it astounds me. Peter is confessing, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And in that same thing, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to the cross. And Peter has enough boldness to take Jesus to the side. Come, come here, Jesus. I need to talk to you just for a second. Um, no, you're not. You can't say that. You can't be the king of Israel and say that you're going to die. This doesn't work. Now, can you imagine the God of all the universe looking to you and not saying your name, but saying, get behind me, Satan. For your thoughts are set on the ways of man. Okay, right there, I think if I was Peter, I'd throw in the towel. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> so how did Jesus say they have kept his word when they messed up so many times? That's just three examples. There's a 
done more. How many times do you say, oh, you have little faith, right? I think it's this. I think it's that they didn't give up. They got back on track. They got back in the race. They didn't walk away in their failure. In John 6, they don't understand him perfectly when he's saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I know many believers who have walked away when they didn't understand the Lord perfectly. When they thought their thoughts were higher than the Lord's thoughts. Guys, we have to humble ourselves. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are, are, are greater than our thoughts. But, 1 Corinthians 2 says, we have been given the Holy Spirit to search out the mind of Christ, to search out his mysteries. Position yourself when you don't understand what the Lord is doing to search him out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't understand everything right now, but you have the words of life, like Peter said. We're staying with you. Though we don't get everything right now, we're staying with you. You know why? You have words of life. And though we don't understand this teaching right now, we're trusting that you will reveal it to us. So they didn't walk away in their failure. They humbled themselves and they kept following him when they didn't fully understand. Jesus' evaluation of this lifestyle when he was talking with his father is, they've kept my word. I think that's gonna be his valuation for us as we stay faithful to him. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know those servants didn't do everything perfectly. But they got the well done. Why? Because they didn't give up. As we stay faithful and continue to follow him, I believe Jesus is smiling over us. And I believe he's smiling over us when we get back in the race. Oh, they're back in the race. My mercy and my grace will wash away those, those, those months and years of running from me. Oh, they're back in the race. I'm smiling over them. They're doing it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you, and then we'll break up into our groups. We have, if you, this is your first time with us, we have groups uh, around these round tables in the foyer. And I encourage you to go and open up the word. We have group leaders who will, who will lead the discussion. Open up the word and talk to one another about John 17, okay? Why don't we stand and I'll close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you that we have this beautiful prayer. We thank you that we get to hear the way you prayed for us before you went to the cross. And Lord, I thank you that when your hour came, that you talked to your Father and that you displayed that perfect response of crying out to God in that moment. Lord, I pray in hours of trial that we would turn to you, that we would talk to you, that we would pray to you. Lord, I ask you that we would finish the race. Right now, I pray for everyone in here that names the name of Jesus, that they would finish the race that you gave them. I just saw a picture in my mind's eye of a mother on a track, and I saw her holding a baby and pushing a cart, and everyone was like running by her and running faster. But the Lord was smiling at her as she was running her race. Lord, I thank you that you smile at us no matter what circumstance you put us in to run our race. Lord, 
and you have strength to give us. Lord, I pray that we would look to you and then we would finish well. And I thank you for your kind evaluation of our life. We thank you for your kind evaluation as we continue in obedience, that you have a smile on your face. And we want to hear those words, they've kept my word. They've kept my word. Well done, good and faithful servant. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen. Love you guys.